Welcome to the serialized audiobook of The Starter, Season 3 of the Galactic Football League series, written and performed by Scott Sigler. The Starter is also available as an ebook and as an ad free, unabridged audiobook. For links to purchase any version, visit scottsigler.com slash the starter. Quentin, John Tweedy, and Yusud Murphy walked out of the locker room and into Isis Stadium's private landing bay. It was much larger than the touchback's landing bay and needed to be. There were 15 shuttles just from the broadcast companies alone, all lined up neatly along the bay's edge. Shuttles and streamlined personal cars moved across the wide space, stopping on top of yellow-lined platforms mounted flush in the black great deck. Every 20 seconds or so, one of the platforms would lower, dropping those cars into the shadow below, or rise up, delivering a new car dripping with water. Yasud was still limping. The normally outgoing, loud running back seemed uncharacteristically subdued. Quentin wasn't surprised. Yasud had carried the ball 23 times for a whopping 47 yards, an average of 2 yards per carry. John seemed despondent that his life-of-the-party drinking buddy was not being the life of the party. Lighten up, Sood, John said. It's a long season. We'll do better next week against the Dreadnoughts. Whatever, Yasud said. If I don't get some blocking, it won't matter who we're playing. John and Quentin said nothing. Better blocking would help, certainly, but Yasud was no Mitchell Fayette. Sometimes, a running back had to go beyond just hitting the hole, had to make things happen on his own. Quentin knew that Yasud would improve. What did they expect out of him in his first Tier 1 outing? A game or two of poor production was almost to be expected. So, John, Quentin said, where are we going? Out, John said. I've only been on ISIS once, and I can describe it in two words. Awesome! INF City has one big dome, right? Well, ISIS is so big, they couldn't fit it all under one dome. So there are hundreds of domes with businesses and residences inside. And there's thousands of buildings that are self-contained outside of the domes. They even have some bars that are right down on the ocean bed, man. And there is a crap load of party subs that float around the city. If you don't know their current coordinates, you can't find them, let alone get in. Quentin saw that look in John's wild eyes, that look that said the man would be out all night and wouldn't go home without at least one bar fight. What about curfew, John? We have to be back in the touchback for the trip back to Ionath. It had taken six days to reach Tower and would take the same to get back for next week's home opener against the Themyla Dreadnoughts. Hokor wanted a full practice at Ionath Stadium before the game, which meant the Krakens departed that night. Don't worry about it, John said. I promised Coach I'd have you back by midnight ISIS time. Trust me, I will not let you miss the bus. Why's that? John grimaced. Ah, Coach mentioned something about castration. I'm not sure of the details, but suffice to say, I don't really want to find out if he's joking or serious. I hired us a private sub, Q. Trust me, I'll have you back in time. Despite the lopsided loss and throbbing head, Quentin could barely contain his excitement. Another foreign planet. Another exotic city. Isis was rumored to be among the most beautiful places in the galaxy. John led them out onto the busy landing bay. He seemed to be counting off the yellow numbers next to each platform. When he found the one he wanted, they waited. They weren't waiting long before the platform lowered, creating a rectangular opening thick with shadow. 
Moments later, a streamlined, deep blue ship rose up out of the opening, lifted by the elevator platform below it. Water dripped off the vehicle, which was about the size of a large grav car. The driver's side door rose up on a hinge. A fat, bearded human stepped out. He nodded at John. Are you Mr. Tweedy? That I am, Governor. Call me Uncle Johnny. This is our ride, boys. Let's hit the town. The fat man walked around, opened a rear door for them, and they climbed in. Quentin marveled at the spacious interior. It reminded him of Stedmar Osborne's limo, the vehicle that had taken him to McCovey's lone spaceport. The vehicle windows looked out onto the bay's other ships and empty stalls. The vehicle's roof was also clear, showing the bay's high ceiling. The driver closed the door. Music filled the vehicle. Quentin instantly recognized the song, Combat Bats by Trench Warfare. Nice! That's my favorite band! John and Yasud laughed. Wow! John said. What a coincidence! Quentin looked at them for a second, then looked away. There was always a joke he didn't get. He felt the vehicle lower. The windows went dark as the elevator platform dropped the ship into the hole. Quentin heard various machinery humming, the clank of metal on metal, the hiss of air, then the burbling of water. Acceleration pushed him back into his seat. Instantly, the windows filled with light, filled with a view that took his breath away. The underwater city of Isis sprawled out before him. Buildings and domes littered the ocean floor as far as he could see, clear and bright when near, hazy and darker in the distance. The water looked slightly murky. There were also floating spheres, covered in lights both steady and flashing. Billboard signs glowed brightly, advertising human products as well as products that must have been of use only to Lee Key. Most of the latter seemed to be things catering to the health of their spindly symbiotes. And it wasn't just the buildings and floating spheres. A hundred feet or so above the tallest buildings, Quentin saw the hulking shapes of massive streamlined submarines, some as large as the touchback, some even bigger. The limo banked. Quentin saw the spectacular design that was the fish tank, home of the Isis ice storm. The beautiful stadium reminded him of ancient football temples back on Earth, a white cylinder rising up out of the ocean floor, capped by a clear dome. He could see through the dome to the empty stands and the sapphire blue field below. Above the stadium, an enormous, shimmering, slowly spinning hologram of the ice storm's sword snowflake logo. The limo banked again, revealing the sprawling grandeur of Isis. Lights and shapes as far as the eye could see, personal ships whizzing through the water at all depths, each leaving a stream of thin bubbles that slowly floated toward the unseen surface. The ships seemed to follow a traffic pattern, but they were packed in so tightly and moving in the same directions that they looked like schools of strange fish. Wow, Quentin said. This is madness. Nope, John said. This is Isis. Enjoy the ride, Q. Oh, I am. Where are we going? Never mind where we're going and eat your broccoli. The ship shot toward a thick stream of traffic, banked at the last second, then melded into the school. Quentin felt his hand squeezing the seat. Some of the ships were only inches from his window. Particulates shot past the window, blurring things even more, making the buildings and domes outside waver, shimmer. Quentin sat unmoving mesmerized by this city of water until the vessel suddenly broke free from the school and banked to the right, diving toward a canyon between tall buildings. Down near the ocean floor, 
Quentin saw hundreds of streamlined bodies swimming in all directions. Leaky, he realized, the ISIS equivalent of pedestrians. He saw groups of dolphins, smooth skin modified with bright colors and designer patterns. Hurrah, too, as at home in the water as they were in the air. I don't see any Watokians, Quentin said. They're underwater types, aren't they? Oh, not here they're not, John said. There's a lot of hatred between the Leaky and the Watokians, left over from the Third Galactic War. Wasn't that like a century ago? John shrugged. Something like that. History ain't my thing, Q. Quentin saw another odd sight. Humans. A few wore breathing masks, but most swam along with the Leaky, Dolphins, and Hurrah. They wore various kinds of clothing, some skin-tight, some loose and rippling with motion, but no masks. As the ship drew closer to the pedestrian traffic, Quentin pointed down to one of the humans. John, how come they don't drown? They're amphibs, John said. Genetic mods breathe as easy in Tower's oceans as they do on its surface. And check out their feet! Quentin looked closer, realizing that none of the maskless humans wore shoes. They had longer feet and longer toes, with skin running between the digits. Man, what are they, fish people? Amphibs, Yasud said. Fish people is offensive. Oh, and don't call them frogs either, or fibbies. So I can call them amphibs, but they're offended by fibbies. That doesn't even make any sense. Yasud shrugged. Hard to keep track of the sheer number of things that will offend a sentient these days, but that's their preference. The ship evened out, once again traveling with other small passenger vehicles, only now the school wasn't as tightly packed. Quentin realized there was a level below which the cars didn't travel, because all the pedestrian swimmers were beneath that level. A few minutes later, the driver banked left out of traffic and into a building's opening. Darkness covered the windows. Quentin waited, barely able to contain his excitement. Burbling, hissing, clanking, light blaring in from above. He was in a loading bay again. Where are we? Never mind where we are, John said. And eat your broccoli, Yasud said. What is this broccoli that you guys keep talking about? Is this food or something? Before they answered, the fat driver opened the door. Quentin stepped out, his feet landing on the elevator platform grate. Water beaded down the limo's smooth, blue hull to drip onto the grate, then drained through it. Mr. Barnes, the driver said, do you mind if I have your autograph? He held out a message board, which Quentin took. Sure thing, man. He signed it and handed it back. There you go. Thanks. Tough game against the ice storm, but I thought you played great. Quentin nodded acknowledgement, then looked around. Another landing bay, but full of larger, longer ships that had to be the underwater equivalent of cargo haulers and buses. It looked very industrial, like the part of a business that customers usually don't see. Q, John said. Come on, this way! Quentin followed John and Yasud, then realized that the driver was walking along as well. Hey, John, why is the driver coming with us? Oh, he's more than a driver. If anyone messes with you, you let the driver handle it, right? Quentin flashed a glance over his shoulder. The guy couldn't be more than six feet tall. Fat. Out of shape. Seriously, Uncle Johnny? That dude? He's not what he appears to be, Q. Don't worry about it. Probably won't even come into play.
In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com r-e-a-l-m now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash realm. They walked into a dark hallway. Quentin heard the growing roar of a crowd. Not the mass of 100,000 plus at a GFL game, but it was still a lot of voices packed tightly together. The sound echoed through the halls. Quentin felt a poke in his chest. It was John's hand, pushing a lanyard with a plastic badge chip. Quentin took it. His own holo face smiled up from the badge, right under the words, Backstage Pass, All Access. John, what is this? They reached the end of the hall, just as the crowd roared loudly enough to shake the walls. Quentin found himself in some kind of luxury box like the ones that Stedmar sat in for the Raiders games back on McCovey. The box's entire far wall was clear, showing a view of a packed audience and a stage. On that stage, a band. The first notes of an electric guitar roared to the crowd, and the crowd roared back. 
Quentin recognized those notes. The long, melodic guitar intro of Combat Bats. No way. Oh, yep, Yasud said, or rather, shouted, just so he could be heard over the screaming throng of fans packed into the theater below. A little present for you, Q, from John and me! Quentin's heart hammered. His chest felt all cold and tingly. A blue-skinned woman, wearing nearly nothing, strode into the center of the stage, her hands raised as if in victory. Confidence and absolute control radiated from her like a miniature sun. I won, Quentin said. That's Somalia Midori. It is, Yasud said. This is trench warfare. I'm, I'm at a trench warfare concert. Quentin felt John's hand pushing into his chest again. He looked down, quickly, to see a mag can of Miller Lager. Quentin grabbed it, his eyes snapping back to the stage, his hands opening the can as if on autopilot. Your favorite band, John said. You look like a kid that just got a hover bike for Giving Day, Q. How many concerts you been to? Somalia was pointing one hand at the crowd, holding the other to her ear. The crowd's roar cranked up to an insane level. I've never been to one before, Quentin said. Concerts are illegal in the nation. How did you guys pull this off? We called the theater, John said. We told them you were a fan of the band. Next thing you know, we've got box seats and backstage passes. Because I'm a fan? Why did we get all that? The band doesn't even know me. John drained his Miller and pulled another. Quentin, I know you haven't figured this out yet, but you're a tier one quarterback. You are a star, my friend. You'll find people want to do all kinds of things for you. Quentin wasn't about to complain, but what John said was hard to believe considering that the Krakens had lost the game. The drummer unleashed a booming roll that shook the theater. Somalia held the mic a half inch from her face, cupping it in both hands. She screamed out her primitive 4-3-2-1 and the band ripped into the first verse. Quentin felt an elbow hit his shoulder. Q, John said. I think you're missing something. Which is? You have a backstage pass. After the show, guess who you get to meet? The words seemed to knock all other thoughts out of his brain. I get to meet her? John laughed, but Quentin could barely hear it as the band hit the first chorus and the crowd went wild. Trench warfare ran around the stage, attacking their song with the intensity of a blitzing linebacker. Quentin tried to look at all the band members, take it all in, but in truth, it was almost impossible to take his eyes off of Somalia Midori. Quentin Barnes had a set of very familiar, very comfortable emotions. Among them were cold, calculating anger, all-out rage, and wide-eyed wonder. One emotion he wasn't used to, however, was feeling nervous. He and John and Yasud waited in a room filled with beat-up furniture and semi-functional holotanks. Graffiti covered the walls. The place smelled of stale beer. Around 20 sentients were in the room, all wearing backstage passes hanging from lanyards. Two of the sentients had big feet and long toes. Quentin also noticed that their skin looked thick, 
and that they had five parallel slits on either side of their necks. He tried not to stare. The room doors opened. Trench Warfare's five members rolled in, sweaty and exhausted, but full of a satisfied joy. They looked like Quentin felt after winning an important game. In the middle of them, her, Somalia Midori. She locked eyes with him and strode over. What little clothing she wore clung wetly to her sweat-shined blue skin. Her purple mohawk was also heavy with moisture, yet still looked thick and inviting. It hung down the left side of her face, cascading over her shoulder. The shaven right side of her head gleamed under the room's lights. She stopped only a few inches away, their chests almost touching. Tall, Quentin thought, realizing that Somalia had to be six and a half feet tall, just six inches shorter than he was. I hear you're my biggest fan, she said. That true? Uh, I don't know. He's a huge fan, John said. He stood at Quentin's right shoulder, all smiles and wild-eyed giddiness. I don't know, Somalia said, not taking her eyes off of Quentin's. I got infinites of crazy massive fans, we clear? What's so special about Mr. Tall Quarterback here? Quentin shook his head as if he were apologizing, and he didn't know why. Oh, uh, nothing, nothing special. I, I just been listening for a while. John leaned in, looking from Somalia to Quentin and back again. Quentin here is from the purest nation. Ask him what would happen if he'd been caught with your music. Quentin's sensation of embarrassment deepened. He didn't know why, but he hadn't wanted this woman to know where he was from. John's statement didn't seem to bother her. Instead, it made a small smile creep across her perfect blue lips. She still hadn't broken eye contact with Quentin, not even for a second. So, she said, what would have happened? Oh, it's no big deal. I... She put her hand on his chest. No, seriously. Enough with this shy and all. What would have happened? Quentin glared at John, who simply shrugged. The truth will set you free, scrolled across his face tat. Quentin turned back to face Somalia. Depends on how many songs. Up to five get you a public whipping. Five to ten, a whipping and a month in jail. More than ten banned songs is considered an act of sacrilege. Her smile faded. Sacrilege? What happens then? Depends on the judge. And if the judge is grumpy? Public hanging. Quentin said. Rare, but it does happen. Seriously? He nodded. She stared at him, disbelieving. We have 72 recorded songs. How many of those did you have? 72. Plus all the live recordings I could find, so, I don't know, probably a hundred. She blinked rapidly, and her mouth opened a little. You're telling me that if you'd been caught with our music, you could have been executed for it? Quentin nodded. An appreciative grin slowly broke across her face. She extended her hand. I guess you is crazy massive supernova fan then. I'm Somalia. Quentin shook her hand, feeling the wetness of her sweat, the warmth of her skin, the strength of her fingers. This was a real handshake, not the polite grasp of a socialite. I'm Quentin, he said. Quentin Barnes. You're cute, she said. I think you and I should get a drink. 
Quentin's breath froze in his throat. Was Somalia Midori asking him out for a drink? I, uh, I'd love to. He'd love to, but he can't, John said. Our ship leaves tonight. In fact, we have to get going right now or we're in trouble. Somalia frowned at John. Well, aren't you just a good boy for obeying the boss? Come on, what's the worst they can do to you? John's smile faded. You don't really want to know. Q, say your goodbyes. John, no way. We can't leave now. You promised I would have you back on time. That's what I did. My neck is on the line if we don't leave now. Are you going to make me have to face Hokor's wrath? Quentin looked at John, then at Somalia. She had such a sexy smile. Her deep blue eyes blazed with confidence and mischief. Do you really have to go? She said. Just one drink? Quentin wanted to say yes, but John was right. If they didn't make curfew, they'd make the entire team wait. Sorry, Quentin said. Maybe, maybe some other time? Her smile widened. More of a sneer, really. A sneer that made his insides melt. I hope so, Somalia said. Super fan of fans, here's to our paths crossing again. John and Yasud pulled Quentin away. He stumbled, still looking back at Somalia, who watched his every move with the eager intensity of a cat watching a wounded mouse. They reached the hall and moved quickly toward the landing bay. Yasud slapped Quentin on the back. Did you have fun? Oh, I won, yes. Thanks, guys. That was amazing. Don't mention it, John said. The girls always dig the quarterbacks. Ain't that right, Sood? Yasud nodded. The ladies loved a long ball. Lady, John said as they entered the docking bay. I'm not sure I'd call Somalia Midori a lady. What do you think, Quentin? You ever meet a lady like her? Quentin shook his head, thinking of Somalia's confidence, her aura of aggression. We don't have women like that in the nation. The fat driver held the door for them. Minutes later, they were once again soaring through the waters of Isis, headed for the shuttle that would take them up to the touchback. The night had been simply unbelievable, but rocking out was just a temporary escape. The Krakens were 0-1. So were the Themela Dreadnoughts. One week from now, one team would still be winless. Quentin would make sure that that winless team was not the Ionath Krakens. GFL Week 1 Roundup, courtesy of Galaxy Sports Network. The GFL's 25th anniversary season is underway, and surprises abounded in Week 1. The Mars planets registered a shocker, traveling to Jupiter and delivering a 21-20 upset against the defending champion Jax. The new Rodina astronauts made a loud announcement of their intentions this season with a 56-3 blowout win over the Jang Adam Smashers of the newly promoted team dropped their Tier 1 debuts. The INF Krakens were manhandled by the Isis Ice Storm 51-7, while the Chillet Spider Bears suffered a 42-21 loss at the hands of the Bald Brigands. 
deaths. North Branch, special teams player for the ISIS Ice Storm, died on a clean hit from INF Kraken's rookie Rebecca the Wrecker Montaigne. Offensive player of the week. New Rodina quarterback Rick Renaud, who threw for five touchdowns in a 25 for 32, 293 yard performance. Defensive player of the week. Mars Planet's cornerback Matsumoto, who registered two picks on Jack's quarterback Shirazia. Matsumoto returned the second pick 62 yards for the winning touchdown. You have been listening to The Starter, Season 3 of the Galactic Football League Series. Written and performed by Scott Sigler. Produced by Ariok Morningstar with post-production by Steve Rickyberg. For more information on Scott and more free stories, go to scottsigler.com. Theme music is the song The Kids Are Coming For You by the band Superweapon. Superweaponband.com. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.